This conference will now be recorded. So my name is Tim, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, we please have a moment's silence. This workshop is for members of Al-Anon, Essanon, or other Anon fellowships or those interested in the subject matter. We will examine the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous as they can be practiced to solve the problems arising out of alcoholism or addiction in someone we are close to. We are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Our views are our own and do not reflect the position taken by any particular 12-step fellowship. This is not a substitute for membership of or attendance of a 12-step fellowship. We merely aim to share our experience. If that experience is beneficial, we're pleased. Each week, a number of presenters will present on the step in question. There will then be room for questions and answers plus discussion. The sessions will last an hour or so. During each session, send the organizers any questions you have using the chat function. We're recording the session. Audio recordings of the workshop plus written materials are made available at the workshop blog. Links are posted during the meeting. Today we're examining step eight. Obviously a very popular step if you look at the number of people here. I wonder why that is. Um, it's funny how sponsees always disappear somewhere around step eight uh, and nine. Anyway, I'll start off by giving a formal presentation of my understanding of the step. There will then be other speakers who will go into more detail about how their experience informs their understanding of the step. Right, so as usual, the screen is showing you what the big book says in blue, and I've got notes in black underneath. They're just my notes, that's all they are. There's no authority. If they're helpful, marvellous. If they're not, don't worry about them. And so, step eight. Uh, if you're following along in your big book, uh, we're on page 76. Now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory at, uh, over alcohol. Now, um, that's it in the big book on step eight. That's really it. Now, in principle, in principle, you should have all the information you need from your step four. In practice, oh boy. <laughs> um, and we'll see why. It Working out if we've harmed anyone, who and how is anything but straightforward and anything but um, self-evident. Um, now, where do we start? You've got to start with you've got to get a list of names together. And it's helpful to break to get the whole list of names first. So then, you know, the full extent of the horror. Um, there's nothing worse than starting steps eight and nine thinking, well, I don't know how many other people. Maybe there are 500. Maybe there are 2000. I guess I'll just do one at a time and find out over the next 10 years. No. Do the list now. Get a sense of what you're dealing with. Walk all the way around it. If it's 600, it's 600. You're going to have to face it at some point. So at least it's best to know the worst now. P.S. It won't be 600. Um, now, where do you get the list from? Your step four is a really good start. So the people on the page 67 questions uh, the people from the sex inventory and I give sponsees clear up exercises where they ask themselves, is there anyone else I've harmed? So you should have a pretty firm list. But it's not a bad idea to just um, flick through the roller decks of your mind, uh, either start at the beginning and work forward or start at the end and work back. 
and say, is there anyone I've got some unresolved issue with? Either there's some rupture in the relationship, there's some rift in the relationship. They don't like you. You don't like them. There's something scratching, um, you know, like biscuit, like biscuit crumbs, which have dropped inside your clothes somewhere. That sort of sense, there is something that needs looking at. Uh, now, it doesn't mean if you feel uncomfortable about the person, you're going to have to run and make amends. Step eight is separate from step nine. Step eight is about a full examination of how our conduct interfaces with other people. Uh, and FYI, just because someone, uh, just because you've done something wrong doesn't mean an amend is necessary. Sometimes it's an amend. Sometimes it's an apology. Sometimes it's an acknowledgement that we've affected someone. We weren't at fault, but we did affect them. So uh, sometimes we have to uh, express gratitude after the event. We fail to do so at all or adequately at the time and gratitude is required. Sometimes a change in behavior going forward is required. And sometimes there was simply a tactical error. No one was harmed, but boy, would you play the scenario differently if it arose again in the future. So it's worth pulling everything possible into the step eight exercise. And don't be worried. If there is no amend due, you won't have to go and um, uh, grovel before someone. That's not what this is about. Second point, up to step seven, you know, do you get it right? Do you get it wrong? Are you accurate? Well, you have a go. I mean, in step four, it says nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Uh, you can be honestly wrong, but you're being honest. You get to step eight. You're preparing potentially to go and launch yourself uh, like the Queen Mary back into the lives of all sorts of people you haven't seen in decades. You want to be careful. You want to make sure that you are right, that you are accurate in the information you're taking into this. Um, so it's a different kind of exercise. Step four, it calls it on page 71, um, I think, an, invent an inventory of our grosser handicaps. Um, Sometimes people are very, very meticulous about step four and sloppy about step eight. And if you're going to make the mistake, do it the other way around. Be sloppy about step four and be meticulous about step eight. So you, you've got your list of you've got your list of people. Let's see uh, what else we've got here. So th the way I do uh, step eight myself. And there are lots of annexes to these notes with sets of instructions and checklists and all sorts of potentially helpful things. Step eight, to identify whether I've harmed someone, uh, I've got to break it out into three elements. The first element is what did I do concretely? Exactly what did I do? Number two, what should I have done instead? Uh, it's, if, it's only if there is a gap between those two. What you did was not what you should have done. Then there might be a harm. Third column. Who was harmed and how? Who suffered and how? And we'll, we'll deal with each of these three separately. Now, it sounds like I'm teaching grandmother to suck eggs, but it's, it's not as self-evident as you think it might be. So what did I actually do? I, the best example I ever heard was a woman, a girl who was doing the steps with me. And I and she said, right, next person on my list is my mother. I said, oh, OK, you've harmed your mother. All right. What was the first column? What did you do? And she said, I created an atmosphere. You created an atmosphere with a chemistry set. Was it a nitrogen based atmosphere? What was the chemical composition of the atmosphere that you injected into the? No, 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 no. I just created, you know, an atmosphere. I created an atmosphere that I created tension. You created tension with your little hands. How did you? What did you do? What did you do? What did you say? What did you not do? What did you not say? Um, uh, 
sometimes it's not even uh the thing that we say it's the tone of voice we say it in it's the tiny little pauses it's the little raising of the eyebrows it's the scowling the, the the little sniggers all of those other funny little ways we communicate things accidentally on purpose there can be some subtle stuff in here but if an atmosphere is created it's not by sheer force of the mind or some kind of you know uh abstract or figurative universe we're invoking no we're literally doing something we're doing and if we're not doing something if there is an atmosphere it ain't our problem <laughs> maybe there was an atmosphere before we walked in maybe the other person just hates us for some reason what did we actually do and uh, a good test of this is what would a camera have observed what would a bug you know those 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 little listening devices that they place under desks in spy films or in tele old telephone sets uh what would a bug have captured what would have been recorded and occasionally a little bit more um fleshing out is necessary but essentially that's what you're looking for uh very often uh if you say to a person so your relationship with your sister your relationship with your brother maybe you've known this person for 40 years what did you do do wrong and the answer is well i don't know i mean i stole something in 1987 but that's really the only thing how's your relationship with your brother terrible <laughs> okay and the only thing you did wrong was steal you know a copy of mad magazine in 1987 and this is the whole reason or is it your brother's fault that you have a terrible relationship Let, let's look at this in more detail and if you ask me what did you do wrong i'll have no idea you know snow white you give me a checklist of behavioral character defects and about three or four items in i'm uh oh i've <laughs> yep I've done this, I've done that. Let's see if I can go down to, I should have a list somewhere at the bottom here. Um, where is it? Oh, maybe it's not there. Um, in step six, I think that's where it was in step six. Uh, there's a list of, uh, lots of lists of character defects that are published on the blog, the link to which I'll provide later. But I, I'll get it on another computer. Just, just give me a moment. Yeah, so... In chapters seven to nine of the big book, uh, there is an awful lot about human interaction, human behavior. And uh, some kind soul made a list of all of the spiritual don'ts, all of the things it says in the big book between chapters seven and nine don't do. And I can walk into a step eight situation thinking that maybe there are a couple of major incidents but other than that i'm flawless then i read this list and i discover that there's an awful lot i did wrong i'm just going to read the first few and ask yourselves in any of your major relationships have you ever done any of this criticizing forcing yourself on people pleading hysterically being over anxious putting pressure on people moralizing lecturing nagging taking offense being contradictory wearing out your welcome uh that's just the beginning of the list you can see there is an awful lot of potential material here i find it more useful in the major relationships to uh start by saying what do people get wrong in relationships have i ever done those rather than trying to suck them out at the end of my fingers um what else um the second column what should i have done or said instead oh actually no there's one one point before that sometimes situations are very complex particularly romantic situations where things can get out of hand very very quickly um and in these situations sometimes a situation will start out innocently an evening will start out innocently and end in catastrophe and what one has to do is basically write out a blow-by-blow -blow account of who said what and did what in the order that they did and said it and look at each item individually and say which which where did it go where did the conversation go wrong at what point did my contributions stop being legitimate and start being manipulative? Rather than trying to look at the whole situation, I get clarity by breaking it down. 
Um, now, what should I have done instead? This is the second column. Um, sometimes the rule that I've broken, which has caused the problem, is universal. Uh, so, you know, uh, stealing someone's vegetables from their garden, setting fire to their house, um, these you know, punching them in the face generally in most cultures is not but you know, it's it's not going to be the right thing to do some things are pretty clear but lots of things are much more down to custom and some things are even harder they're down to the specific context and i'll give you a couple of examples about custom um i know people who are nightclub promoters now i don't know how much you know about the world of nightclub promotion but it's a little bit of a if i dare say so a shady world things are done differently than they are in the world of say notaries public and chartered surveyors um the conventions and the customs for for how much information do you disclose is cash in hand accepted um, you know, how much notice do you have to give people to cancel stuff? These are, there is no moral absolute there, but there is a custom and an expectation in the specific environment you're in. Sometimes what was right and wrong in a situation is down to very much down to the specific context, um, a whole cluster, a whole constellation of circumstances, your personality, their personality, if I'm 10 minutes late for a friend of mine, well, I'm 10 minutes late, you know, as a courtesy, I might drop them a text, but I'm not going to worry about it too much. I've got a sister. If you're late, um, if you're um, late is anything later than half an hour early. So if you're 28 minutes early, you're late. Uh, she's she's not very well in all sorts of ways and her mental capacities are not ordinary mental capacities and so she panics she can't help it but she does and she goes through the emotional ringer if you are late she'll go through the emotional ringer so what is a harm for her is not it wouldn't be a harm for anyone else but for her it's a harm um sometimes uh you make a sharp you tease someone you make a sharp comment and it's it's fine because it's the nature of the relationship that you have with that person with someone else they'll never talk to you again so you've got three possible uh ways of looking at a situation either isn't there is a moral absolute there is a custom or convention or there's some aspect of the relationship in question which meant that what i did was wrong i should have done something instead now at one point the reason why this second column is so important apart from general information is always nice to know what one would do differently in future the reason i think it's so relevant is uh some people i've met in recovery feel guilty about nothing and other people feel guilty about everything um have you ever walked past this will apply to 63% of the people in the room. That's the usual statistic. Have you ever walked past a shop, a new shop in your neighborhood, selling goods or products that you don't particularly need or desire, but the shop isn't doing so well? The new, the owner of the new shop is always standing in the window, looking out anxiously to see if anyone will come in, all of this beautiful stock which is untouched, and you feel guilty because you're not shopping there? I do. That's something I do. And I in the past, I've actually walked on the other side of the road so I don't have to walk past the shop. I feel guilty for not shopping in, even though there's no product in there I want or need. So I have and I, I can do both. I can feel guilty about stuff I shouldn't feel guilty about and have uh, and be completely amoral in other regards. So I've got to know. Um, uh, was what i said or did legitimate in the circumstances if if it was the right thing to do even if there's collateral damage it was the right thing to do and a good example uh, the one that comes up most often is 
you know, you're sponsoring Bobby and Bobby says, well, I, I've hurt Susan. And like, Why have you hurt Susan? Well, I broke up with her and she was devastated and went to live in Leicester for three years and she was very upset. And you, OK, so 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 what did you do? Well, I left her. What should you do? What should you have done instead? Well, I didn't love her. She didn't love me. We argued the whole time. It was the right thing to leave her. Well, if she was upset, she was upset. If it was the right thing to do, it was the right thing to do. You can't go around making amends for the thing that was the best thing to do in the circumstances, even if someone is upset or furious with you. I've made the example before of students I unfortunately have to fail in exams, and they're often degree exams, so it's whether or not they actually get the, the, the master's degree um, is down to, to the mark that I give them. And they're furious with me. What? So I should pass people just because they'd be upset. I should go to people and say, oh, I'm so sorry for failing you. Your script was terrible, but I'm sorry. Step nine, an amend is about saying I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And this second column is the, my way out of inappropriate guilt. When I see that what I did was either the right thing or amongst one of the possible right things in the situation may not have been elegant, but it was above the line. It was acceptable. There is no amend owed. I can legitimately let go of someone else's response. They're allowed to have whatever response they had. Just because someone is upset does not mean you've harmed them. Just because they think you have harmed them does not mean you have harmed them. Sometimes now when you take people through step four, um, it's very common for people to be upset um, for something like this that you'll say, well, who are you upset against? And they'll say, well, first column, Lavinia. Second column, well, what did Lavinia do? Well, Lavinia doesn't respect me. She doesn't respect you. OK, what does that what does that actually mean? And you dig and dig and dig and you discover that Lavinia doesn't agree with you. Or Lavinia won't do what you want her to do, even though there's no reason why she should. She's just not doing so. She won't obey you. Sometimes people are upset with you because you you don't agree with them. You have a legitimate difference of opinion. Sometimes people are upset with you because you won't play their manipulative games. <laughs> Sometimes people are upset with you because you won't obey them and do for them what they should be doing for themselves. Just because someone is upset does not mean I've harmed them. For it to be a harm, I've got to have done something wrong. And let's uh, lastly look at what the types of harm are. I find this immensely helpful um, to isolate whether I have actually harmed someone. Um, let me have a look. So there are forms of harm which occur at what one might call the point of impact. So these flow directly from the action in question. And these are pretty straightforward. This physical injury, damage to or theft of property, monetary loss, deprivation of time, interference, intrusion and nuisance. Um, unnecessary emotional suffering. I'll come back to that. Harm to relationships with third parties. And the best example of that is when you go to someone and you say, do you know what Peter said about you at the meeting last week? I think I thought you ought to know. Now, <laughs> maybe they ought to know, but are you the one to tell them, um, you know, <laughs> harm to relationship with third parties and reputational harm. Now, the unnecessary emotional suffering, uh, the rough and tumble of life is going to give rise to uh, negative emotions. Even on a sunny day with a blue sky in a situation which is perfectly neutral, people are perfectly entitled to have a full range of human emotions, rational or irrational, logical or illogical, uh, timely, proportionate and appropriate or untimely, disproportionate and inappropriate. They're going to have them. What we're looking at with the emotional one is unnecessary emotional suffering. Um, you're never going to get through a difficult situation without the other person feeling emotion. We're talking about whether we unnecessarily caused emotional suffering. Um, the relationship level, uh, very often, uh, this is someone else's story, and I hope he, he forgives me for 
for, for saying this is not nothing particularly um, personal about it. But there was a rift in the family. There was some argument about politics. And 30 years later, the two branches of the family um, uh, met up. And my friend, who was, I don't know, seven or eight at the time. So the rift had happened 25 years before he was even born. They were walking up the garden path to this house and they hadn't seen this part of the family for 25, 30 years. And the mother leans down to him and whispers, act like nothing happened. It's possible for some event, uh, which is relatively minor, to reverberate literally for decades because there is a rupture in the relationship. And lots of my harms with this. I did something wrong. I never admitted it. I never acknowledged it. I never said sorry. I never patched it up. And boom, that's the end of that relationship for decades. So sometimes the event is minor. The harm lies in the damage to the relationship flowing from the small event. And the third type of harm is a spiritual harm. And this is usually for information only. This doesn't really feed into step nine because it would be weird if it did. But there is such a thing as spiritual harm. Standing in the way of someone's spiritual development, which usually basically means uh, mothering, managing, manipulating and martyring yourself, doing for them what they should be doing for themselves, infantilizing them. Um, you know, behind. Uh, I, certainly it was true in my case, and I've seen it in other people's cases, behind any adult who is acting like a 14-year-old is usually a bunch of adults who allowed them to continue to act like a 14-year-old by continuing to, to you know, pick up after them, do for them what they should have been doing for themselves. Um, and I can go the other, a person can go to the other extreme as well. So failing to offer uh, help that is genuinely necessary, misdirection, or anything which increases spiritual separation. So general negativity, encouraging separation, hostility, um, ill nature, ill naturedness. Uh, it, it increases another person's sense that the world is is uh, essentially a collection of warring factions. We're all out for ourselves. And if you don't look after yourself, no one else will. So those are the different levels of harm. Um, the other part of step eight is where it says we ha if we haven't the will to do to do to do the amends um, to make the amends we ask until it comes. Um, the principle here is the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want to relapse on alcohol or in any other addictions, uh, and I don't want to carry on being acting the person I was acting when I got into recovery. And with steps eight and nine, it's really all or nothing. Being willing isn't to do with being willing on a particular amend. It's to do with willingness in general. Um, in the same way that if your cat has got fleas, uh, you don't ask yourself whether you're willing to treat the cat uh, for you know, flea by flea. No, there's a general principle. We're going to de-flee the cat. And what we're doing here is we're de-fleeing ourselves. As soon as it starts to come down to willingness for individual amends, uh, the reason why we're making the amends in the first place is not understood. These um, these unaddressed wrongs and ruptures in relationships are what is keeping me trapped in my inappropriate beliefs, thinking and behavior. And so if I want to be free of that, um, that's where my willingness comes from. Uh, I'm going to stop there and ask some other people to come in on this. Um, could we have uh, a timekeeper, please? Heather, thank you. So, um, uh, Heather, if you could uh, time for four minutes, that would be great. Um, uh, Osho, would you like to come in and share? Hi, everyone. I'm Osho. I'm a grateful member of Al Anon. Just going to bring up my notes. Thanks so much, Tim. Um, I'm going to start by talking about the aspect of forgiveness in step eight. And nine, um, that was a big piece that I worked on this last time around going through steps eight and nine, these last two times in the last year that I've done them. Um, I, ca I can't praise enough the benefits 
um, that has come to me, the peace that has come to me, the connection with my higher power in being willing to release people who I perceived um, had done me wrong. And um, in doing so, getting to a point where I either made amends or um, was able to put together a sane and sound ideal, all of the options that um, Tim set forth. And um, I, I just, I am amazed um, at how much love can th flow through me that I just didn't know to access before. Um, forgiveness essentially is, is one of the main things that is keeping me sober, sane, and happy today. Um, I also wanted to point out that as a sponsor taking someone through um, step eight, um, especially in Anon, it's, um, it's important for me to take a look out for an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Um, I had so many people on my step eights over the years and thank God for sponsors who like pared it down, you know, of like, nope, this person doesn't need to be there. Nope. You know, um, very, very grateful. Um, and with regard to guilt, Tim actually told me that guilt is merely a sign to check in with step eight and not necessarily that, that amends are needed. And, and that was very, very helpful for me. Um, it was suggested to me to go through the list of people that I had sponsored over the years. Um, I don't keep a list of those people, and there have been a few. And so um, I sat in prayer and um, for a few days and just asked higher power to raise people into my consciousness um, that maybe I needed to, to take a look at my relationship with them. Um, some of the harms that I needed to review in step eight involved third parties and not the actual person that I was relating to because I don't know about anybody else here, but um, even in recovery, I can call someone with a complete innocence, you know, honest intention of just, you know, going through a step eight, a step uh, 10 and talking with them about what had happened in an interaction with someone and um, and I might do this, you know, 20 or 30 times um, in an innocent, honest <laughs> motive and um, and needing to take a look at that and needing to take a look both at whether I had calm, uh, harmed them as far harmed the person that was involved as far as reputationally. And also if I had harmed the, harmed the third party by spreading my ego all over the place um, and having to take a look at, at involving third parties. Um, the sane and sound ideal uh, for me, creating the sane and sound ideal was a very, very healing, amazing experience. Um, I read my sane and sound ideals every day. Um, I typically read one a day and then just keep going through it and going through it. I also read it, I try to remember to read it. I don't read it as much as I would like to um, before I have interactions that I know are on the sane and sound ideal. So if I know that I'm going to have a conversation with my son and I, I have a sane and sound ideal for being a mother, then um, I uh, try to pray for the willingness to remember to read it before I speak with my son. Um, and so those have been very, very helpful to me. Um, some Time. of the things that I learned. Okay. I will stop there. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Evan, would you like to share? <clears throat> Hi, I'm Evan Griffith, I'm a member of Al-Anon. Um, so, first of all, thank you for the whole share, Tim, and uh, thank you, Osher. Um, so, when I do step eight, um, I go in a slightly different direction. Um, for me, step eight is about the willingness to make amends. I have my list um concentrate in, in step four also making the list of what exactly i have the amends to make but even if i think i need to make an amend and it's uh it's doubtful whether or not um there was actually a harm i find for me at least and what i do with my sponsees is um is what's the willingness uh what, what's the the part of being having that willingness to make amends and, and then why is this separate from step nine uh shouldn't they just be this one thing make a list and make the amends no and there's a, a step in the middle there of of achieving this level of willingness to make the amends um 
And what I got from my sponsor and, and, and from other uh, old timers in, in various programs is that willingness comes only when I'm able to set everybody else's part in it aside. In other words, whatever the other person did to me or I perceive they did to me, um, I can't keep that in mind when I'm making my amends because if I'm if I'm on some level still blaming the other person for the situation, then um, then my amends I'm really not making uh, an amend. I'm I'm keeping them at a distance. Um, if, if I look at, at at my amends as as I need to make uh, I need to mend what I broke. Um, and if certainly with my kids, I see when the little kids that they're always, but he started, but he started, and and n nobody's able to give up on on what their what the other person did, which means they're never able to to change their own behavior um, because they they're always they're so concentrated on on what the other person did, they're not able to look at, at what what they did. So my understanding of, of the willingness here is that I have the willingness to look at only my side of the, the street, which means on a certain level that I need to completely forgive the other person, whatever they did. And obviously that brings up the person, what it, most, for most people, what do you mean I have to forgive them? They did this and this to me. But just because, does that mean that, that it's okay that they did this? No, it, it's got nothing to do with whether what they did is objectively right or wrong. Um, it, it has to do with how do I uh, relate to the situation. Um, and I can forgive somebody for doing something wrong, even though it was wrong, and avoid putting myself in dangerous situations in the, in the, in the future where I'm clearly going to get hurt. I don't have to put myself in that situation. But when, at the end of the day, when I look at my side of the street and, and what I did, I need to look at that in, uh, I don't know if a vacuum is the right word, but I need to look at my side of the street and not pay attention to what anybody else is doing. And, and for me, that means really letting go of, of the other person's side. And, and that brings me to the real willingness to make amends, real amends. Because until I, I have that willingness, until I, I let go of what they've done, my men okay. is only going to be uh, partial. So thank you. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Uh, Emma, would you like to share? Hi, I'm Emma, a grateful member of Essanon. Um, Step eight was uh, like, you know, it's been discussed this willingness to do the writing and thinking behind step nine. I put it down, to I put it down on paper, like it said, I prayed, I meditated. And with me, I just found guilt, guilt upon layer of guilt upon layer of guilt. I was responsible for everything that ever happened. Every harm was mine. And I, you know, I, I had to keep asking myself and my sponsor kept saying, what did you actually do? And I'd be like, I um and she'd be, no, 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 what did you actually do? And in my head, I had a plethora of things that I had done. But when it was, there was no, it was not tangible. There was nothing I could say, this is what I did in this situation because it was all guilt. And um, I wanted to find the problems. I, I wanted to put everyone down there because I wanted to fix everything because that's the beautiful nature of being a codependent for me. Um, I just had tremendous amount of guilt and shame, really. Um, sorting out what I had and hadn't done, that was really what it says in the big book often, or a few times I think, faith without works is dead. Because for me, my faith leads to obedience, um, which leads to the work. Um, and that reflects my faith. Yeah, it's a it's a cycle thing. And when I was stuck in the guilt, I wasn't in faith. I was just stuck in the guilt. I wanted to stay in that, so I didn't actually have to do the amends that I had to do. I, I much prefer to stick with things I can't do and feel, you know, I can make this little thing and do this little thing and make up things because I couldn't be honest about the things that I really, really needed to do. 
So um, part of that was the forgiveness that's already been discussed. Um, I feel I felt I I found it very hard to make amends unless I could forgive them. It's like breaking a barrier of some sort between me and the person, especially with anger. Um, forgiveness, I believe, is a change in attitude. It's a change in thinking. It's looking at my perspective in a different way. And I, and I um, often didn't like the person I wanted to make amends to. And I used to think that would be a problem or that would be the thing that was barring me. Um, see the truth is i think i gave my power to these people and i didn't really want it back because i was scared that if i took it back then i would have to actually do actions um so for me my sponsor was really a savior with this um she she kept at me what have you done and i got rid of a lot of the rubbish really that i thought that was just guilt and i was left with some really really hard ones things about my children things about my marriage that I didn't really want to face, to be quite honest. And, but I did. And I think the willingness to put them on paper and say the truth, I have done this, I haven't done this. And that was also an amount uh, uh, things to come up with. I didn't protect my children with this. I should have been there for them for this. They were really hard ones for me. And I think that that's what step eight gave me. Um, it's a new level of willingness. It's a new level of connection to God. Um, I trusted my sponsor um, and in that I took a leap of faith to trust God and it was that cycle. I did the work because I believed that this would bring me closer to God and break the blockage for me, repair the damage. Um, but I had to be really clear what that harm was. Um, I had to be really clear that there actually was a harm and not make these amends that I wanted to pretend and um, remembering clearly that they don't have to forgive me I'm doing this for me and to keep my side of the street clean and I think it's a bit of a gift here I get to sleep at night and feel that I'm okay I make my amends in my step 11 each night and I know that I'm doing my side of the street and that's all I can do um yeah I feel very lucky today to be in program thank you for listening thank you uh Ellie Sherva would you like to share Hi, I'm Elisheva. I'm a member of Essanon and Al-Anon. Yes, I also wrote every every little mistake as a harm, and I needed to learn the difference between a mistake and a harm. And that took me some time because I wasn't willing to let go of the guilt of the mistakes that I had made. And looking back, I can see that there was there were times where I knew I was hurting people, and some of the situations I didn't know what I should do instead. And in other situations, I knew but I didn't have the power to do what I should have been doing. And so I kept on going back to my old habits and I kept on hurting people. And to avoid the discomfort of the harms that I was causing, I shoved them deep down inside of me and then I tried to cover it with guilt of all these little mistakes that I had done, as if that would be less uncomfortable to live with. But really all it did was cause me to live with the uncomfortableness of the harms that I had caused and the uncomfortableness of this guilt of mistakes that didn't that were inconsequential. Um, once I got, once I let go of the mistake, the guilt of the mistakes, that's when I started seeing the real harms that I caused. Um, I found, like it's been said, just because other people were disturbed by what I did doesn't mean that I caused them a harm. It, when I made necessary boundaries with love and the other person was disturbed, the other person came crying to me and shared with me how much I hurt them, that doesn't mean I hurt them. And that was a big thing for me to let go. Um, then there's the normal rough and tumble of life. On the block that I grew up in, on a lot of times the boys and the girls would just all fight each other. It was the boys against the girls. It was normal fighting. There was no bullying. There was no harm caused. There was no need. I did not need to go look up every boy that ever lived on my block and start making amends to them all. It was all normal rough and tumble. And the same with sibling rivalry. Um, I needed to learn that, that not every time I spoke about someone was a gossip. Gossips when I have a juicy piece of information and I want to share it with someone else or I want the person that I'm speaking to to sp think less of the person that I'm speaking of or if I want them to um, to, to look at me differently because I'm, I'm saying something about this other person. But there's a time that's gossip, but there's a time to legitimately talk about someone else. If I am disturbed by something, I can't find my mistake. 
I don't know anyone that I can share with right now, except for a person who knows them, that there's a legitimate reason for, for this discussion to take place. It has a higher reason, and I didn't need to put those down on the pe list of people that I harmed. Um, if I already made amends to somebody and I haven't harmed them since, I don't need to put them back on the list again. Making the same amends again and again is servile and scraping. Um, and one of the things that came up for me is that I live in a different country than I grew up in, and the societal norms are very different. And so here it's very acceptable to argue. It's even expected, and people will be insulted under certain situations if you don't argue because it shows a lack of caring. And so I needed to separate what I felt inside and how I expressed it. And I need to speak to people that grew up in the society that I now live in to see if, um, if what I did was acceptable. And most of the times what I did was acceptable. What I really just needed to work on was the change of what was going on inside of me and become willing to make amends to them all. Um, I didn't want to make the amends, but I was willing to. And the two things that I found the most helpful for me was one, listening to old timers speak about the promises coming true for them as a result of, of making all their amends. And I really wanted that. And the other thing was that I had had one experience where a woman had come over to me before recovery and she made the she told me the list of ways that she had harmed me and how she intended to fix it. And she made an honest effort and I saw that she was making an honest effort. And in the past, when anyone had done the things that she had done, I would just get up and leave the relationship. And what I found with her that the relationship was strengthened and the level of trust had grown to more than it was before she had done the harm. And I had, I really admired her. I wanted to be like her. I just didn't have the tools and know how, how to do that. And when I came to program and I got to steps eight and nine, um, having Hi. had that experience, thank you, having had that experience really pushed me to be willing to make them and I'll leave it there. Thank you. Uh, we've got the question. I think it's a very good question. Are there some amends that are more important than others uh, to make? Uh, are some harms worse than others? So would anyone like to comment on that? Just unmute yourself and speak. Hi, I'm Osher. Um, the book is pretty clear that we have to make all of the amends. So when we're talking about amends, right, the, the step eight and step nine are separate. And so I'll I'll relate to each, but when we've determined that we need to make amends and we have a list of amends at the end of step eight that we need to make and we go into nine and how to make them, um, the, book, the book is clear that if we're alcoholic, we're going to drink again. As an Anon, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to um, repeat the insanities um, over which I came in in the first place. And so um, an amends is an amends and is an amends in that regard. As to exactly how to make one amends or another, I think we'll talk about that more in step nine. With regard to step eight and going through the process of determining whether or not I owe amends, um, the three questions that, that Tim set forth really work well for me. They clarify things for me very, very clearly. Now, um, you know, T Tim was clear when he spoke about how some um, some of these analyses are very dependent on circumstances. Um, I know that that the last time that I was going through eight nine, um, my sponsor had me go back sometimes six or seven times to clarify what exactly was the relationship, what exactly were the circumstances, because my ego just kind of want to shuffles everything under the rug and and no no there's no amends needed you know we'll set it up and talk to my sponsor about it in this way and kind of cover things up so that and so um it's one of the reasons that we do this with the sponsor is to gain a lot of clarity to to be really clear on on how to proceed i hope that answered the question uh sophie l did you want to come in on that as well yes well, I don't want to, but um, <laughs> um, I do believe uh, yes, and um, I think like practical uh, practical example. Um, I was just trying to figure out when that was, probably three or four years ago. Um, I shared with my sponsor, and I, I, actually, I didn't even—I didn't think much about it. 
um, I shared with my sponsor that I had uh, used a, a certain word, a really uh, horrible word, and I, I uh, caused a reputational harm um, in uh, um, my family. And um, that was so clear that this needed to have priority um, to to make this amend as quickly as possible. And um, uh, yeah, I'm grateful that I could do it. Um, and I'm still because this happened in you know this happened in in recovery. I was already um, sober at the time. Well more dry because otherwise I don't think that I would have used that word. So um, yeah, uh, I do believe that there are some um, amends, even though this is all, all about um, creating this list. Um, I think if I search my own heart, uh, I, I know which one needs to come first. Um, thank you. Thanks. Uh, anyone else on that point? I'd just like to add, um, when I have actually made amends, there was one where I got back in touch with an old friend on Facebook and we started chatting. And uh, there was an there was an incident where he'd come round to my flat. This is from 25 years ago. He'd come round to my flat for dinner on a Saturday evening. There were eight of us there, and he was drunk when he arrived. I was already sober by this point. I, he was drunk, and he got drunker throughout the course of the evening, and was exceptionally rude to two or three of the other people there it just sort of it, it just it was blowing the whole evening people were getting upset so i called him a cab and in a sort of pincer movement we got him out and got him onto the street and got him into the cab and that played on my mind for years and so event now the here's the thing it was the right frankly in the situation it was the right thing to do to discreetly you know get him home um but i spoke to him and I wanted to patch this up and he had recalled that and he was glad that I'd he didn't think I'd done the right thing <laughs> so he was glad that I you know acknowledged that apologize for that but he then brought up some comment from two years earlier I'd made in a social setting which I honestly I still think is pretty funny uh, but he was very upset. He was very upset by it. it was a, you know, those moments when you just think of just the right thing to pop into the conversation. It was, it, it was, you know, those one once in a decade situations. Anyway, he was really upset by it. And so my perception of what is harmful. And then I mean, you know, I did a proper apology for that. And we've been good since then. We've been fine since then. And I'm careful about making comments like that, like the one that I made. So I don't know what's small or large. Uh, you make everything. And there's an interesting line in the big book on page 78. It says nine in nine out of 10 cases, the unexpected happens. Uh, so uh, what step nine does, it throws my judgment out of the window completely on what was harmful, what was not harmful, what did happen, what didn't happen, what did I say, what did I not say, how did it affect someone else? You do your best in step eight, but step nine will change everything anyway. They say you can't change the past. Your step nine will change your past because it will change your perception of what actually happened. Sarah Rivka, would you like to come in? And we've got six minutes left, so knock yourself out. <laughs> Hi everybody, I'm Sarah a grateful member of Al-Anon. It's good to hear everyone, amazing shares. Um, so I, on the question, the thing is, I think that probably some amends are more important than others. The problem is that I have no way of knowing which ones are. I just can't know. So um, I have to just do all of them and um, 
what's important to me, what I think is of great importance to somebody else, a lot of times they don't even remember it. And, um, you know, and the opposite. I, I've done all sorts of things to people that I'm, I'm sure have hurt them, and I, I wasn't aware that I did it, so I couldn't make it the amends. Um, I'd like to say something about being willing. In my life, I've had, to, since, since my life in recovery, I've had two situations where two different people in my family at two separate, on two separate occasions asked me to not have contact with them. And uh, both of these people, I wanted to make amends to them, but I, I couldn't because I, they said, uh, they set a boundary, please don't contact me. So the, the most important thing that I could do at that time was not to contact them. And I did that. And, um, and it was really hard, but I was willing to make the amends. And in, in fact, um, I think um, one of them was my daughter who did not speak to me for a year and a half. Even if we were have, had occasion to be in the same room together at some family thing, she pointedly ignored me and she had told me not to speak to her. So that, that, that was really hurtful as she was chatting away with other people and smiling and being friendly and nice to them. And to me, I'm cut off. It's like I don't exist. So that was really, really hard. I just kept that willingness. And when she finally was willing to talk about it, I was so willing to, to, uh, to do that process with her and to listen to all of her complaints. And, um, and the ones that, that I agreed with, uh, I, I did apologize for. Um, and we get along great today. So that had a happy, happy ending. I would like to say about crossing the street to, to, not feel guilty about not going into the store. I do that, but I also do the other thing in which I enter the store and buy something that I don't need because I feel so sorry for that storekeeper. And and I have a really hard time with, you know, feeling feeling sorry for people that you know what? I I, I guess it's a lack of faith and trust in God because if I believe that God gave that storekeeper exactly the income that he was supposed to have, then I wouldn't feel so sorry for him. But I do. And so I will often do that. And I, I, I don't, I'm not proud of it. Anyway, that's all I have to say on the subject. And thank you so much to everyone else. Thank you. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. Does anyone else have any closing comments? Or inspirations? Tim, I'm just going to say something about um, the Al-Anon literature versus the big book. Um, in going through the Al-Anon literature for, to prepare for today's meeting, I just wanted to point out that um, uh, there are a lot of places where it says to make to put ourselves on the list and to put higher power on the list, and um, it, it really doesn't um, appear to jive with what's written in the big book. Um, how can I truly do harm to myself? How can I truly do harm to higher power? And um, and I will say that with previous sponsors where we did not do the steps through the big book, I, I did I did do those um, uh, letters that were suggested to me and so on. And I found them helpful in a healing process, but not really in the um, spirit of steps eight and nine. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions if anyone has about um, kind of how to put it all together. Um, I think that there's room for some of that, but but not within the structure of eight and nine going through the big book. Thanks. Thanks. I'd like to echo that and say, of course, um, uh, you know, my potential in the world has been harmed by what I've done and I've damaged my relationship with God. But the thing in my experience, and there are different takes on this, in my experience, that's totally taken care of by steps 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 in general. If I want to mend the damage in my life, then I mend the relationships with other people and then build the life that God wants me to build. And in doing so, I'm already doing the amends to myself. It's not that an amend isn't owed in a sense. It's that it's already taken care of. So in my case, it hasn't needed a separate exercise. But if, as with everything else in recovery, if something helps, do it. If it doesn't help, don't do it. 
and that will save an awful lot of complex decision making. Um, so tune in same time next week for uh, step nine. Uh, we're not holding meetings on the 20th, 20th of September, 4th of October or 11th of October. Um, I'm wondering if some people all are already demob happy about the upcoming holidays, which is why we've got fewer people here today than in the past. In any case, please unmute if you care to and help me close with the serenity prayer. God, grant, God, God, grant me the serenity, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you.